Well, good afternoon. It's good, it's good to see you all. Um, we're continuing, as you know, our studies, uh, looking at the fruit of the Spirit. This is based on a well-known passage in Galatians chapter 5, so it'd be good if you could turn there to begin with. Um, in Galatians chapter 5, there are nine characteristics uh, listed, and it'd be good for us just to look at that. We, we've actually looked at seven of the nine already, and they happen to be in verse 22 of Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And there are two left, and they just happen to spill over into verse 23. Um, this afternoon, we're going to look at this uh, word gentleness, the fruit of the Spirit it's gentleness, and then last week, uh, last week, next week, let's get the order right. Next week, we'll look at uh, self-control. I think, out of all the characteristics, the nine characteristics on this list, I wonder whether gentleness is the one that is the most neglected, and possibly the most misunderstood. Just over uh, 180 years ago. There was an American pastor who wrote a commentary on the fruit of the Spirit. And he said this, Perhaps no grace is less prayed for or less cultivated than gentleness. Perhaps no grace is less prayed for or less cultivated than gentleness. I think what he meant by that was that I think we often just think of gentleness as something a fairly nice person just naturally has. Um, rather than being, as it is here, a distinctively Christian virtue that all of us as Christian believers should be demonstrating in our lives. Think about this. When did any of us, when did I ever pray to God and ask God, oh God, help me to be more gentle. When did we pray as a church? Lord, help us as a church family to know more of this gentleness. I don't think it's an accident or an afterthought that gentleness makes it, it makes the cut into this list of nine uh, attributes. And there's a couple of reasons for that if we could stand back and look at Galatians as a whole I think it's not long before we realize that this these churches in this region that Paul's writing to they needed the quality of gentleness just uh, look back with me at verse 15 of this same chapter chapter 5 of Galatians remember Paul's writing to a church family here or a, or a group of church in this region Galatia and Paul says to them, if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. This is a church he's writing to here, biting and devouring and in danger of destroying one another. But perhaps even more striking is what comes before the fruit of the Spirit list. Paul gives another list that is the total opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. Verses 19 
down to 21 of chapter 5 here. There are 15 negative characteristics. And although some relate to sexual morality and one or two other things, over half of them are actually about relationships breaking down. Look at verse 20. Hatred. Discord. Jealousy. Fits of rage. Selfish ambition. Dissensions. Factions. And envy. Sounds like a pretty toxic list. Could be describing Twitter. 2,000 years before it was invented. I'm also very conscious that this is very real for Paul himself as an individual. He's actually very well qualified to speak about gentleness because before Paul himself encountered Jesus in his life, his nickname could legitimately have been Mr. Angry. He was basically a religious terrorist who was bent on destroying the church, enthusiastically applauding the execution of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, dragging men and women off to prison, breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. When Paul himself was reflecting later on his former life, he describes himself as a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. So when Paul writes this list of the fruit of the Spirit, he's not writing from some distant ivory tower. Paul was a monstrous character who had experienced a miracle from God of deep and supernatural transformation. His whole life and heart had been changed. And Paul actually is a living, breathing example of gentleness being a fruit of the Holy Spirit. I wish we had more time to open up all the times in the New Testament where this formerly angry and violent man demonstrates and urges gentleness. We read one of them in Colossians chapter 3. If, if you know what a concordance says, a Bible dictionary, get a concordance this week. Look up the word gentle or gentleness and see how many times Paul, as a formerly violent man, speaks about gentleness. And of course, all of this is bang up to date. The backdrop to this for all of us today, now in 2021, is that we ourselves live in an increasingly angry culture that doesn't seem to prize the quality of gentleness very highly. You only need to ask someone who works in customer service or perhaps observe the way we do politics or sign up to social media. Gentleness is not seen as a quality to be admired but is more often quickly dismissed as weakness. It's almost the, kind of the lowest form of compliment. At least they're a gentle person. It's not something to be admired. We ourselves may 
even question the validity of gentleness entirely, believing that if we're gentle, people will just take advantage of us. But I wonder whether one of the reasons that we don't prize and admire gentleness as we should is, is possibly because we, we misunderstand what it is. And maybe that's why we neglect it. So here, here's what we're going to try and do. We're, first of all, I'd like us to spend a little bit of time working up a definition of gentleness that will help us to understand a little of what gentleness is. And then I want us to think about how the kingly rule of Christ himself incredibly is marked by gentleness. And then we'll close by asking some, some searching questions to try and explore whether and how our lives might display this characteristic and quality. So first of all, what is gentleness? First of all, there's a few things that gentleness is not. It isn't just a natural personality trait that some nice people seem to have. Some people are quite easygoing, aren't they? And just nice by nature, but that's not necessarily what we mean by gentleness. And gentleness isn't the opposite of being an extrovert. Some of you know what this feels like. Um, gentleness is not just being a naturally quiet or shy person. And neither is gentleness what we might call conflict avoidance. I, I think um, sometimes we can be prone, can't we, when we're under pressure or in an argument to, to, to just give in or, or yield. Perhaps we've done that, some of us, all our lives. We, we, we don't like conflict, so we, we, we just prefer to be gentle. But that, that, that's not what we mean, I, I don't think, by this fruit of the Spirit being gentleness. I think it would be helpful for us to think about how the word that's translated gentleness in our English Bibles was used. By It's a Greek word. I, I always think the word looks like the word prone, but it's, it's not the word prone. It's the word praus. Um, and I, I wonder if it will help us to understand how Greek people in Paul's day used this concept. We, we know from other writings how four different jobs, if you like, use this word. Philosophers, doctors, sailors, and farmers use this word in different ways. So let, let's think about this. this. This word, first of all, speaks of balance. The great Greek philosopher Aristotle argued that this word, praus, represented a kind of middle position between two extremes. On the one side, he put anger. And on the other side, he put apathy. And this word pros, he said, was, was the middle healthy balance between those two extremes. So he was saying that uncontrolled anger is wrong. But he argued, so is never getting angry about anything. That's just as wrong. So in other words, we shouldn't be lacking in passion, but we should guard against our passions overcoming and dominating 
and, and being ruled by our passions. For Aristotle, being gentle encapsulated that healthy balance. Secondly, for Greek people in the first century, this word will have spoken of soothing. So, a Greek doctor would use this word to describe a soothing medicine. I don't know if they had lemsip in the first century, but if you've got a stinging sore throat, soothing medicine that made you better or calmed your fever, or a sailor would use this word to describe the refreshment of a cool breeze. Nothing nicer, is there, on a hot day. Nice, cool breeze, soothing. There's something gentle in both of these ideas that lifts you and does you good. But the interesting thing about both of those ideas is that medicines can be powerful and they can hurt you if they're administered um, in, not, if they're not administered carefully or, or if you struggle with addiction. And equally, that refreshing breeze can sometimes develop into a hurricane or a tornado that can cause devastation and tremendous damage. So in both of these cases, there's the idea of something that could potentially be powerful being applied carefully, softly, rather than in a powerful, destructive way. And that leads us on to the way a farmer might use this Greek word. It speaks there, live control. A farmer would use this word to describe a young animal that was nat obviously naturally strong, but hadn't been broken in. Um, animals are powerful creatures, but the inherent strength of an animal like a horse, needs to be harnessed and put to good use so that it doesn't kick you in the face. I didn't know this, but so some of you might know this. There is a term in the horse world called gentling. And it refers to working with wild horses until they become responsive and uh, teachable. It's, it's the process of breaking in a horse. I was reading about a prison facility in Nevada in the States where they have, at any one time, 2,000 horses. And there's a small group of prisoners who work with these horses to gentle them. Gentling, never knew that. So gentleness is clearly not weakness. Here, here's the definition. It is the soothing beauty and the perfect healthy balance of real power that is brought under control. So we'll keep this definition in mind. Gentleness is essentially power under control. Gentleness means that although you might have the power to do damage, you choose not to. That's gentleness. Let's just think secondly then about Jesus from this perspective. The kingly rule of Christ is marked by gentleness. 
There is no doubting when we read the Gospels either the, the power of Jesus or his holy opposition to everything that is evil. Jesus had power over nature, over sickness, and even over death itself. The, the image of gentle Jesus, meek and mild, doesn't really fit for a man who commanded stormy weather to be quiet. Or, or, or a man who sent 2,000 demon-possessed pigs over a cliff. Or who made a whip and whipped conmen out of the temple in Jerusalem. Or who on one occasion called religious hypocrites, you brood of snakes. In the Gospels, we come face to face with the sovereign Lord, the Son of God. And we glimpse something of his raw, pure, holy power. And we catch the fire in his eyes and the zeal in his heart. Yet his kingly rule, incredibly, is not marked by macho displays of power, but by gentleness. We could go to that ancient prophecy in the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, chapter 9. In my Bible, it's entitled, The Coming of Zion's King. And the prophet Zechariah cries out, pointing to Jesus and paraphrasing, O Jerusalem, be very glad and excited because your king comes to you. And look, he brings righteousness and salvation. And he is what? Gentle. Riding on a donkey. Jesus apparently feels no need to show off. Gloriously powerful, utterly capable, and yet infinitely humble. And he never uses his power recklessly or in a knee-jerk way. There's a wonderful poem, old poem, by a US writer called Henry Longfellow that I came across this week. It's called The Village Blacksmith. It's very quaint. The first verse says this, under a spreading chestnut tree, the village smithy stands. The smith, a mighty man is he, with large and sinewy hands, and the muscles of his brawny arms are as strong as iron bands. But in the poem, this powerful man proves to be a gentle giant. On a Sunday, he goes to church with his sons and he hears his daughter singing in the choir. And the daughter's singing reminds him of the wife that he has loved and lost. And Longfellow says, and with his hard, rough hand, he wipes a tear out of his eyes. Gentleness is not weakness. It is power and strength under control. Jesus sums gentleness up. Let me point out three things we could spend the rest of our time thinking about Jesus in this way. Let me think about three things with you about Jesus that bring this to life. First of all, 
Jesus saves the rebel by sacrificial love rather than by a demonstration of power. The Bible reveals, doesn't it, how we as humans go our own way in rebellion against our loving creator. But instead of saying, it's not my fault, and washing his hands of us, instead of reacting with anger or retaliation, instead of striking fear into us with a spectacular display of awesome power and might, Jesus, the King, comes to die. Instead of blaming us, Jesus takes our place. And the innocent one is condemned and ruined so that we can be forgiven. This is power under control. Secondly, Jesus nurtures the weary and the overwhelmed with infinite gentleness. I think it's very striking that there are not too many places in the Gospels where Jesus describes himself directly. But one of them is found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? For I am gentle and humble in heart. I love that Jesus trains and nurtures and cares for his dear ones with patience rather than with criticism. Jesus is not a bully. He doesn't manipulate. He isn't violent. He isn't abusive. He doesn't use his power to threaten or coerce using fear. He is kind. This too is power under control. And thirdly, Jesus restores the broken and fragile with careful tenderness. I do so love the picture that the prophet Isaiah paints in Isaiah 42. Maybe we can just turn there just for a moment. Isaiah 42 in the Old Testament. Through the prophet, this is God speaking 600 years before Christ was born. These are wonderful verses. God says through the prophet about Jesus, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. 
we're told that King Jesus will bring justice to the nations. I, I think that requires ultimate ability and a certain degree of strength and power. But then Isaiah tells us that this same strong, rock-solid Jesus will not raise his voice in the streets. And in verse 3, a bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick like a little wick that's on the verge of going out he won't snuff it out it is a remarkable picture here is a truly strong person who uses all the power and strength that he has to build others up not to destroy them or crush them or break them. Jesus is not the kind of person who uses people for his own ends and then throws them away when they've served their purpose. Jesus never looks at you and thinks you're not worth bothering with. Jesus doesn't discard ye when ye fail friends this too is power under control Jesus is not weak or some kind of pushover but the incredible mark of his kingly rule is gentleness and friends not only are we on the receiving end of such power and kindness but we find that this same Jesus by his spirit is working the same qualities into our own hearts and lives the fruit of the spirit is gentleness so if you or I have any issue with this idea of gentleness the absolute best thing you can do or I can do is to look at Jesus Learn to admire him and love him and trust him and treasure him. And you'll find that as you do that, you'll gradually be becoming like him. And you'll begin to reflect him. And you'll begin to have your power under control and know something of this gentleness. So, my final point then here is that because of Jesus, Christians who follow Jesus should also be marked by this idea of gentleness. I wonder whether the quality of gentleness will play itself out in the lives of Jesus' followers in two different directions. On the one hand, gentleness will first of all mean being willingly and wholeheartedly submissive to God and his word and secondly I think gentleness will reveal itself in relation to other people in careful consideration of the needs of others around us so when we think about power under control two different directions all, all of our power coming under control so that we're submitted to following God and his word and ways and we're committed to blessing others, serving them rather than hurting them, power under control. So I want to ask 
some questions as we wrap up. Maybe this is a bit like a spiritual scan. And um, some of this I found hard during the week. But here's six questions. The first two relate to submission to God. And the other four relate to consideration for others. So here we go. Six questions. Number one. Am I teachable and ready to receive instruction from God through his word? Our gentleness, in other words, will be seen in how we respond to God's word in our lives. Let's just quickly go to James, right at the end of the Bible, a little short book by James. James chapter 1. Just look with me at James chapter 1. I'm thinking of verse 21, but even from verse 19. James writes, My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, this is the verse, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly. The word there, humbly, is the same Greek word that could be translated gently. Humbly or gently, accept the word planted in you which can save you. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and gently accept the word planted in you which can save you. I heard one preacher say that if you have a dirty mind or an argumentative spirit, you could sit in church for a thousand years and it would do you no good. I thought that was a, a strong comment. True gentleness will be seen as we listen to God's word and with a sweet, trusting faith and a gladly repentant heart and a humble, teachable spirit it is actually our kicking and fighting against God that hurts us. May God grant us the spiritual fruit of gentleness. Secondly, here's question number two. Am I patient even in difficulties? I think gentleness is seen in in our submission to God's care over our lives. And that will include times when things are hard. Gentleness is the opposite of restlessness and being irritable with God, shaking our fist at God, being angry. It means that we're not quick to blame God and shake our fist at God, but rather we trust him to comfort us and be to us all that we need, even in our hard days. Am I patient even in difficulties? And in relation to one another then, four questions. Thirdly, am I slow 
to take offense. I think gentleness is closely related to humility somewhere in this. I think one of the reasons we sometimes get oversensitive is because our pride is hurt, isn't it? And we're offended. And when God is working this fruit of gentleness into our lives, we, we will be less prone to being sensitive or flying off the handle or going into a sulk, more able to pause. I, I think one of the most challenging aspects of this to think about is what am I like at home? It's one thing to play the part of gentleness in public so that others can see. But it's quite another to then be prone to outbursts of temper with those closest to us at home is your power under control at home am i slow to take offense fourthly am i compassionate and fair to other people around me do i have a generosity that enables me to think the best of other people or am i the kind of person who is cynical and rigid and demanding. Sometimes I can tell myself that I'm standing on a principle that's really important when actually I'm just being stubborn about my own opinions. And I'm not speaking here about fudging core biblical convictions, but I am talking about the formation of a truly Christian character. Sometimes it is possible for, for us to hold the right beliefs in very harsh ways, isn't it? But also, how do I treat those who serve me? Like in a restaurant, or at the bank, or on a customer service hotline. Do, do I treat some people with contempt as if they're beneath me? Or am I careful to treat all people with respect? And under this heading, am I mindful and sensitive to the pressures and fragilities that my friends and family, colleagues carry every day for all kinds of unseen reasons? Or do I just dismiss their sensitivities and demand that they live up to my expectations? I, I think often my, my natural tendency is to cut myself some slack and demand things of other people. Maybe for some of us, gentleness will involve swapping that around, <laughs> being tough on ourselves and more tolerant of one another. Fifthly, am I kind and courteous to outsiders? If I become prejudiced or jaundiced towards other people who are not like me, or am I aware and sensitive to their needs as people outside of my own circle? I think this plays out in a number of ways, doesn't it? Am I, am I able to think outside of my own people group? But, but this, this also, is, is about our Christian faith and our relationships with unbelievers, isn't it? In Titus chapter 3 and verse 2, Paul writing there essentially says, 
to Timothy, uh, to Titus, remind people to be gentle with outsiders. What on earth were they doing? <laughs> He's writing to, to Titus and telling him, tell the people in the churches to be gentle with outsiders. What, what, what was it about their behavior that Paul was concerned about? In, in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, Peter says that we should be ready to answer people's questions, but we should, we should do so always with what? Gentleness and respect. Am I kind and courteous to outsiders? Lastly, am I careful and sensitive when others around me fail? We all make mistakes and fail sometimes. But hear the words of the former fanatic Paul. Later on in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Paul says, if someone is caught in a sin, restore him. How? Gently. When people fail, we're not to gossip or gloat or score points. And neither are we supposed to be overbearing or harsh or arrogant even if there are times when there's a need for strong words or some form of discipline, it should always be done with a motive of loving care and in a spirit of gentleness. Our time's gone. I want to be gentle with you, not gone too long. Let me take you back to that old quote that we started with, that I shared with you right at the very beginning. Perhaps no grace is less prayed for or less cultivated than gentleness. Let's put that right. Let's put that right today in our own hearts and in our church family. From this day, let's, um, let's cultivate this spirit of gentleness. Let's pray, shall we? Oh God, would you make each and every one of us more gentle? Would you produce this beautiful fruit of your spirit in our hearts and lives and homes and in our church? Give us more of your strong and kind, wonderful son and make us more like him. Help us to be a community that reflects the strength and the gentleness of Jesus. And we pray in his good and strong and gentle name. Amen.